HBF, even if it's virtually. And so uh, uh, it's good to have you online. It's good to have you connected. I pray, God, that will allow us to be connected and directed this morning. And uh, this morning, if uh, I pray that if you desire a little bit more connectivity, that uh, you could connect with us. Uh, you can call us. You can email us. Uh, you, if you know us, if you know us personally, connect with one of our ABFs or myself. I'll get you connected to an adult Bible fellowship. Those are uh, a little more interactive than uh, what we're doing right here. So I'd encourage you, if you're not already part of an adult Bible fellowship, you don't have to be a member of HBF to be connected to one of those. It'd be a great way to actually get to know people a little better. And when we do come back together at some point in the future, you can come and meet everyone in the flesh and uh, continue that relationship. That would be uh, quite a quite an opportunity for you um, this uh, this morning. So if you have questions on that, you can find uh, you can find that at uh, hbfcast.org. You can also look back on the week of reflections and and review what's already been. Uh, preach. So if you have your Bibles, we turn in the book of Acts chapter 25. We're going to continue our sermon series called Discovering Our DNA, and we're looking at the blessings of blamelessness from Acts chapter 25. You know, this week there was a, a lady on Facebook named Mary McDonald of Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, she posted a heart-wrenching Facebook video uh, talking about the uh, tireless work of the emergency room staff at hospitals in the Detroit area of, of which she lives and works. And uh, some, uh, she mentioned during the, the course of her broadcast that um, the last ventilator that uh, was available uh, in the hospital in which she was working in the emergency room uh, was, was hers to use on a patient at 7 a.m. that morning. And there were still patients in triage waiting to come in with the COVID virus, and all the ventilators were used up. And she, uh, she really was, was torn uh, on on, the, on the, the reality that, you know, she became a healthcare worker and, and customarily is used to having the things at her disposal to help people live. And now she was in a situation where they were evaluating, uh, you know, literally who was going to live and who might die. And uh, they, they were, they, she said, I didn't get in the nursing field, in the health field, uh, to be uh, someone that was making life and death, death decisions. I got there to help people right, and not to choose uh, who would die, and of course, it's a lot of stress. There's going to be a lot of, of uh, healthcare workers, especially in those hot spots and places, um, you know, that are really overwhelmed, uh, that are going to have a lot of things to consider in the future, and, um, I, and so we need to be praying for them. Uh, those types of decisions and watching people suffer is not easy uh, for the human, um, as much as we watch it on TV, and it's virtual, and people watch all kinds of things happen. When it's real life, and it's you, uh, and you're dealing with those life and death decisions. It makes a difference, and uh, and so we need to be praying for those folks. I know all of their hearts are to help people. No one wants to see someone uh, die or, or not have the resources to help them. So that's a tough situation. And I mention that because the COVID-19 virus is, has been likened to a war. You hear that terminology all the time. Um, and uh, and for the staff in hospitals that are in those hot spots, it, it is somewhat like a wartime environment as they triage those pa- patients and. And then have to make those decisions on who gets care and who doesn't get care. Uh, man, would you like to be in that situation? Uh, I mean, some of you watching me probably are. We have nurses in our church that are on the front lines actually doing some of those things. Of course, Kansas City has not yet been hit as hard as some of the other major metropolitan areas in the country. But, but uh, there are people that in this church are right now dealing with people uh, in a healthcare environment that, that are... Uh, you know, under the uh, uh, affected by this virus, and could you imagine having to decide uh, who lives and who dies, who gets the health 
care and who does not. You know, Friday afternoon, Governor Mike Parsons announced the executive order, it may have been yesterday actually, uh, for the entire state to stay home and uh, starting Monday the 6th here in uh, Missouri. And when he did that, he mentioned that it was a difficult decision for him to make. He's like one of 10 um, uh, governors that haven't actually until this week come out and said, thou must stay in your homes. Um, and he did it for a really good reason. He stated it in his address, if you watch the whole address. Um, he did it because he, he doesn't like the idea of one man having that kind of authority over everyone else's lives, knowing that there's going to be winners and losers in that. Once he makes that decree, if people have to stay home uh, and businesses close, right now he's affecting business owners and, and people's livelihoods, and, and that's a lot of power. He's, and he said this in his address, I'm paraphrasing it, for one man. Uh, to just have that kind of authority to just say this is what's going to happen and now the consequences um, of course are are serious but of course so are the consequences of people that that could die but he he stated it in ways that uh, his decision would force some to be winners and others to be losers and uh, of course he didn't like that on the other hand of course being responsible as a governor he went ahead and imposed that but for the most part our state has been doing that but he felt like especially I think on the east side of the state there's been some liberties taken that are harmful, so he went ahead and capitulated and, uh, and then, uh, of course, set the standard there. So, again, I, I mention that not for good or bad. It's not a political statement one way or the other. The point is, is that people are in positions right now in our country where they have to make decisions. Um, each man and each woman of, in your family, you got to make decisions. you gotta, you got to keep your, your children home or you got to you know, do what you've got to do to work from home. You're making decisions, and, and of course, uh, here at our church, we've had to make decisions, and oftentimes you, you make a decision one day, and then the next day it has to change, right? And, and it was going to be for this long, and now it's for this long, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, when you're making decisions, especially like the ones I just used with the nurse um, Mary McDonald was talking about on Facebook or uh, even our governor, Mike Parsons, the reality is that it affects other people's lives. And this morning, as we prepare to look at Paul's defense, as he is now going to give his defense in Acts chapter 25, his decision, and I'll give it away, we already talked about it last week, he's going to have a successful case legally. He's going to win his arguments. There's, there's no way not to win your argument when you're Paul, and, and you're right, and you're blameless, which is the topic of our, of our sermon series. But the reality is this, is that his decision, uh, even though he's right and he's blameless, it's really a, it's a bad decision, and, and not a bad decision, but it has consequences. Let me rephrase that. It has, it has negative consequences in regard to the nation of Israel, not so much because of anything that Paul is doing. Paul does everything he can do, and he does everything that is right. He is blameless, and he is harmless. He's a son of God in the midst of a crooked, perverse nation, but it indicates that he is no longer available uh, to help those um, that they don't even know it, but they're on life support. It's like the COVID virus. There's many of us that may have it. We don't even know. It's not going to affect us. But some of us, if we have it, it is a silent killer. By the time it sets in, it's too late. And the nation of Israel is in a situation that by the time they realize what they miss, by the time they actually realize what they missed, it's, it's been you know over two, almost 2,000 years before they'll wake up and actually realize what just happened in Acts chapter 25. But Paul is saying, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I, can, I, I can't go back to Jerusalem. There's no fruit there. I'm going to go to Rome because that's what God told me to do. Now, his heart, we know, was to go. We know his heart was to go to, to Jerusalem. We know he loved his brethren to the death. In Acts chapter 21, the apostle Paul made it very clear when, when Agabus 
uh, came and, and prophesied that, you know what, I, I'm willing to die in Jerusalem. That was just, well, prior to the two-year stint in, in Caesarea, that was, you know, things changed with it, for him within 12 days, rapidly. Uh, he went from being ready to die and willing to die to two years later, he's like, you know what, I'm going to Rome because that's where Jesus wants me. And uh, you know why he did that? Because he knew his investment, his, the death would not help him. And, you know, in Romans chapter 9 and 10, I've already covered that, how Paul just loved his family. He loved his Hebrew relatives. He loved that nation, those people. Uh, he desperately wanted them to receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone in your life right now that you can think of that's like that? You just love them. I mean, there's someone you really care about, and you want them to receive the gospel. You know, we're kind of like Paul uh, not just because you're sitting in your house waiting for someone to decree that you can come out, although in that sense we're also like Paul, uh, but, also, but in a way we're like Paul as well because we know that time is short. We know that there's only so many more opportunities that we have, and for Christians who are really grounded in the Word of God, we recognize that what's going on in this world is, well, it's already been written about. We've been talking about it in my life, in my spiritual life. I turned 30 a few weeks ago, spiritually speaking, uh, and I'm a little older than that, uh, you know, physically. But the reality, I'm 30 years old in the Lord. We've been talking about what's going on like this, well, for years. You know, I, no su- surprise, you know. Uh, and if you watch movies and stuff, there's been movies about pandemics. And we already know where all it's all going. Okay, we get that. What does that really tell us, though, if you're born again this morning, is that time is short. It's, it's, it's near. The coming of the Lord, no matter how you slice it and dice it, is nearer than when we believed. And so it's important that we, like Paul, we love the people, really love the people that we, we care about, and we share the gospel, even when they don't receive it, even when they reject it. But the hard part is being like that nurse or uh, like the governor, when you've got to make the hard decisions and know the decisions you make are going to affect other people's lives. And sometimes, as that nurse said, I don't have enough ventilators, so she knows someone might die. Oh, man, that's a tough place to be. And Paul's leaving. He's, he's going to win his arguments. But when he leaves Caesarea and goes on to Rome, the people in Jerusalem are going to face Titus, General Titus, in a decade down the road. After Paul's dead, their judgment will come. And Paul's not going to be happy about that. I'm not happy about that. And God's not really happy about that. But he allows that. Why? Because God is the only one who knows the heart of man. I don't know your heart. Uh, you don't know my heart. God knows my heart, and God knows your heart. And he really knows what's in the recesses of our heart. And his word, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, is very sharp, and, and it penetrates the heart. The word goes deep into the heart. And Paul has spoken the word, and he knows that the, the seed of God's word has fallen upon the hearts of these that, that believe. They say they believe the Bible, but yet they reject the author of the Bible. They believe the Old Testament, but yet when God, the word of God shows up, they reject him the author of life. And when you reject the author of life, well, all you have left is death. In Acts chapter 21, Paul was so, so, so committed. He said, then, then Paul answered, what, what mean ye to weep and break my heart, telling him that he would be bound when he went to Jerusalem? For I'm not ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Then why didn't he? I mean, that was his heart. That was his, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. That was Paul's heart, but why didn't he then die? Well, because he wasn't going to disobey the Lord Jesus. 
He didn't want to see his brother in Israel perish for rejecting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but he knew that God called him to Rome. He was in a decision where he was going to have to leave his brethren behind. You know, Jesus had told him that personally in, in Acts 23, 11, that he would, he would stand in Rome and he would give, a, give uh, the gospel as he had already done in Jerusalem. So after two years in the palace and prison of Caesarea, we talked about that last week, he finally concluded it was time to give up on his desire to win the Jewish leaders. And God brought him to a place that he had to choose God's will over his own will as a brother, as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as a relative of those in Jerusalem. That was a hard day for Paul, I'm sure. Acts chapter 25 finds us at Paul's defense now. Two years again have gone by. Uh, Festus is now in charge. Felix is long gone. He has caused a lot of problems in Israel. So we're going to see that Festus wants to kind of smooth things over and try to, to placate the Jews. And of course, Paul, that will be done at Paul's expense. We read this last week, but I want to read it once again and review it, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue on uh, with this point this morning regarding that being blameless, the blessings of blamelessness makes us um, battles winnable. And, and so we look in verse 1 of chapter 25. The Apostle Paul says, Now when Festus, or actually Luke writing, Now when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem lying in wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered, that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able to go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. You come with me, right? That's what he's saying. And, and uh, if you want to accuse Paul, you're welcome to. I'll, come on down with me. Verse 6. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanding Paul to be brought... And when he was come, the Jews uh, which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews' pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For I, if, if I have offended or have committed anything worthy of death, if I, re, if, uh, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for the example of our brother, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the heart attitude that is revealed, not only in what he said, but in what he did. And Lord, in a time like this, in a time when this, uh, this virus is, is also amplified in the media and people's hearts are troubled, Lord, may we be calm and steady like the Apostle Paul. We know the Bible tells us the accuser of the brother and Satan, he accuses us day and night. And Lord, may we be like Paul and be steadfast and faithful. May we be ready to go where you want us to go and say what you want us to say. May we love our brethren, but follow our Lord. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that all of us, to a man, to a woman, to a child that's listening, that is born again, would follow you faithfully, especially in these days. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Give us that grace, Lord. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, by way of review, I just want to I just want to bounce off of last week, just, and I won't take a lot of time, but remember that we're talking about the blessings of blamelessness and how blamelessness makes bondage bearable. So we spent a lot of time last week just focusing on that because many of us feel like we're in bondage. We're in bondage to our homes. And, and, and so we found that, the, that Paul was in bondage uh, to his brethren. He literally was bound because his, his love for his brethren. And we saw in Acts 24 and verse 27 that it was two years uh, before Portius Festus came into Felix's room and, and he was willing to show the Jews a pleasure, he left Paul bound. Paul really could have been released, I believe. I think Felix could have let him go and said, you know, the charges don't stand with the Jews. They don't stand with Rome. You're a Roman citizen. Go on your way. But we know that, we know that Felix was looking for some cash. He wanted cash in hand. And Paul was like, look, man, I'm not into that. I'm not into bribes. So you want to hear about the gospel? Uh, you know, gold and silver have I none. But I will, I will tell you about Jesus. So he spends two years you know, witnessing to Felix. And in the meantime, the relationship between Felix and the Jews degenerates to the point that Felix um, uh, causes such a problem for the Jews and putting down the rebellion. And it's so ruthless that uh, they ended up being able to influence Rome, the powers that be, to remove him. And then Festus comes in. And Festus, of course, is in a situation uh, where he is going to try to placate and bring some, some smoothing over to uh, the political situation for the sake of both the Jews and the Roman Empire. He's kind of the man in the middle. And so uh, Paul could not lose his salvation, but he did lose his freedom, attempting to share the love of Christ with his brethren. And man, I tell you, wouldn't that be our heart, that we would give what, what it takes uh, to get the gospel where it needs to go? Right now, we're, we're, we're asked to give up our freedom, uh, right, in a, in a free country, a very strong individual individualistic nation. We're not a communist nation, right? This is not our norm. This is not how we roll. But we do have a bigger, we'd have a, we have a cool thing about this country, and it's something that's, that was built into the fabric, is that we believe in a God, right? And so what governs us is not the rule of man, not a humanistic governance, and it's not the rule of really even the law. It is, there's a, there's a, it's the creator, right? We're, we're endowed by our creator. You guys know where I'm going there. Well, with that comes this understanding that God is, the God that we serve is a God of Love. God is love, not just a God of love. When you say love, he is the definition of, of love. So therefore, we, we yield our will to him, right? In a free nation, if you don't yield your will to God, it won't work, right? You, a humanistic uh, situation, a humanistic, a humanistic governance without God will turn into chaos. It'll turn into anarchy like France. I mean, it just, it just doesn't work. You've got to have You've got to have a consciousness that there's God and that God is a just God. And with that comes love. So now the governor says, you know, I really don't want to tell people to yield. I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to the brotherhood, right, to the Philadelphian spirit, the, the love that we would have for someone else, that we would give up our liberty so that others would live. That's really what has been the, the mantra uh, from the president on down through the governors to the local municipalities, uh, to the health directors. It's like, hey, listen... Would you give up your liberty so others might have a chance of living? Even if you're not sick or you're not infected or you don't even know you're infected. We, we don't know who's who. So, so just, 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 we're not, we, we'd, like to, we'd like to make a law. I haven't had someone tell me in the, in the system, like, you know, we got these, law, these, these orders, but right now there's no teeth. Meaning you can kind of do what you want, but we're asking you. You know what? A Christian says, sir, yes, sir. You know what? I can curtail 
my liberty for the sake of others because, well, that's what Jesus told me to do. That's the example that Paul had. He's like, hey, you know what? I'm not only willing to be bound, I'll die. I'll do whatever it takes to see my brethren live. He wanted the nation of Israel to live. And so bondage was bearable for him. He stayed in jail for two years. He wasn't so eager to get out that he's like, well, here, take a bribe. He wasn't going to short circuit uh, the principles of the word of God and his call to be an apostle. He's like, no, I'm not going to pay my way out of this. This is an issue of justice and judgment. And, and, and this is how it's going to roll And before we know it, Paul is actually driving this thing because, well, he's the only man of principle and character. He's the only man that's committed to to the absolute authority, which is the word of God, and that is Jesus Christ. And so bondage is bearable when you know how the story ends. Paul could endure that because he knows what's going to happen. In Romans 11, 25, I told you, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So the Apostle Paul knew when he wrote Romans, before he ever sailed down to Jerusalem, that that nation was in blindness. He just wasn't sure how long. And, and he was hoping that maybe he could do something to save someone, if not all, but as many as possible, because he did, I think, know, because Paul knew some things, uh, that judgment would be coming upon the nation of Israel. How much detail he knew, I don't know. But by the end of the first century, the whole church knew the whole story, and we know it today as well. So what makes our bondage bearable is being on mission and witnessing to others and making disciples. While Paul was bound, I'm sure he was continuing on, just like we as a church are. Right? We, we didn't just stop. Oh, <clears throat> there, we, can't, we can't meet in a building, so I guess, I guess we quit. No, well, that's not how the, the church rolls. It's never how. The church was born under difficult circumstances. The church was born in situations. The first church service, Sunday night service, after the resurrection, they're hiding from the Romans. And Jesus, boop, shows up in the room and says, hey, guys, I'm here. And uh, that's how the church got started. Jesus is with us. He's in, literally in us. And so we go forward. You know, it doesn't really matter. We'll go forward, and we're, th- we're so thankful. You know, the technology even we're using, I've preached on in Revelation. It, this is definitely a, a, faux, uh, a faux technology for the Spirit of God once the, the church is removed. No doubt about it. But I'm thankful for it. The, Romans, the Roman system is part of Daniel's prophecy. It's part of the Antichrist system. It's part of all of that. You know what? Paul used it. Paul used it really well. And we use technology, and we're thankful for it. Are, are, are you blameless in bondage? That's the bottom line. Let's be blameless in bondage because it's very bearable. That was the point from last week. But this week I want to talk about how being blameless also makes battles winnable. When you're blameless, it's like the Teflon Don. I forget that dude's name up in New York or wherever it was, New Jersey, a few years ago. Um, I can't think of his name. It's probably a good thing. Be wise concerning good, simple concerning evil. But he got the nickname, the Teflon Don. Why? Because everything that they, people were trying to steal, uh, throw at him, the law enforcement, it kept rolling off of him. Finally, they got the guy, and he died in prison, which was just. But uh, what's his name? No, not Whitey Bulger. He's another dude. He was in bed with the FBI. But that's another situation. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. That's, uh, that's going the wrong way this morning. Let's go the right way. Because Paul was truly, truly blameless. <coughs> and, um, and so Paul cannot lose legally, right? Being blameless, man, I tell you what, it makes battles winnable. He just is not going to lose legally. He is, well, he's an attorney, and he knows that the law is the law, and he, has, he is on the right side of the law. Festus was caught in a very difficult situation. Festus uh, does, by the way, sound like your long-lost cousin from the south, but uh, his name actually is, is the root word 
and if anyone's named Festus, I apologize, but that just does sound, I just, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, just, I just hear a banjo playing when I hear Festus. But anyway, Festus, his, his root, the root word means, uh, is, is the same as we would have for festival, right? So it literally means a festive guy. I kind of think this guy was probably, it probably matched his name. He was probably pretty jovial, probably good with people. That's why he was thrust in to this situation where he was here to smooth things over. And so he was here to make people happy. And that's what you see with Festus, man. He's in a tough spot. He's trying to please the Romans <coughs> as, a, as a Roman magistrate. He's trying to please the Jews. He's trying to, uh, you know, Paul's probably the least of his concerns. But it even seems that he has some concern, some sort of compa- compassion for the Apostle Paul. <coughs> Excuse me. So Festus does sound like your long-lost cousin, but he, he was really, he might be. He might be a long-lost cousin. I don't know, but... Festus follows Felix, who almost brought the Jews to insurrection. His job here is to calm the Jews down, and then uh, it will be, unfortunately for them, their last opportunity. It's not just that Paul's their last opportunity. What they also don't know is Festus is their last opportunity. There won't be another Roman governor uh, enter into the into the sphere of the, the leadership of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel that is actually... Uh, nearly as nice as Festus was. His replacement, Albinus, will shut down the operations of the Sanhedrin and raid the temple. And then, he, and he's do, doing that at the behest of his boss, Nero. So after this situation that happens with Paul, <coughs> rather, they don't know it at this time, but it is not going to be good for the nation of Israel and the leadership. Paul is the least of their worries. You know, that's often what happens. We focus on the wrong things, don't we? We get focused on the wrong. The nation of Israel, they're worried about the Apostle Paul. He's God's grace to them. He's bringing a message of grace and hope. And they're all upset. <coughs> they're all wound up about Paul. <clears throat> and they really don't understand that while they're sitting there are using, trying to use the Roman system to, 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 to shut down Paul, the Roman system is going to shut them down. And boy, what a lesson there is there. Felix left Paul in prison to placate the Jews. Festus informed uh, of Paul's, uh, was informed uh, by the Jews that they were interested in Paul's, Paul's situation. And so he's, he's like, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go back up. Why don't you guys join me? If you really want to, you know, to interrogate this guy and, and stop him from all his evil, come on with me and, and, uh, and we'll go ahead and, and uh, take care of Paul when we get back to Caesarea. But I'm not going to bring him down here. So Festus wasn't uh, you know, he wasn't willing to, you know, bend too far. He would bend, but he wasn't going to break. He was like, hey, he's a Roman citizen. He's in our, he's in our palace. Uh, you can come up to Caesarea. There's a reason he's there. So you come on up. And he invested 10 more days with the Jews, as we read in the text. And, and then, of course, uh, he wanted to have a, a trial again, a second trial uh, for the Apostle Paul. So Festus, this is probably in our law, and I think we have double jeopardy. I don't think you can do that under our, our, our law, but that's what's happening to, to Paul. It's probably why we don't do that. So Festus couldn't give up, uh, couldn't give Paul up because he was accused of sedition, and that was a charge that Felix <coughs> didn't find true, and Festus didn't either. And again, he is blameless. So the second thing I want you to just understand about this situation of Paul not being able to lose legally is that Festus wants to do the Jews a pleasure. He wants to do the Jews a pleasure. In Acts 25, 9, the Bible says, but Festus, willing to do the Jews, and if you're doing a fill-in-the-blank, that, that word is Jews there, 
uh, <coughs> Jews a pleasure, answered uh, Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? And so notice that the defense given to Paul, he was able to decide his own destiny. Paul was not a citizen. <coughs> I'm sorry, Paul was, I'm sorry, a citizen and a model prisoner who, could, who caused Rome absolutely no grief other than the fact that the Jews were getting stirred up. That would cause them some problems. But the more they investigated Paul, they're like, man, this guy, he really hasn't done anything wrong. It's just a religious matter. It's not even an issue of the Roman law. You know, the phrase here that we see in Acts 25, 9 that says, do the Jews a pleasure, is the same one used in Acts chapter 24 and verse 27 when Felix answered, show the Jews a pleasure, and left Paul incarcerated for two more years. It would seem that Festus thought Paul may have, uh, <clears throat> have uh, bid on the offer, right, to return to Jerusalem. Or I'm sure he wouldn't have offered that. But as you see in the text, let's just look at the text once again. It says in verse 9, but, but, but Festus, willing to do the Jews' pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? And I think that, I think that when, Paul, when Festus asked that, he, 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 I think he might have had some hope that Paul would say, Sure, I'll do that. Paul's like, uh, no way. I, I think this probably caught Festus by, you know, surprise when he sees what Paul's next move is. <clears throat> you see, Paul wanted to do, this is the, if you're, and I say fill in the blank, some of you that are members of HBF, I sent out a, an email with a link. If you go to our website under listen under this message, there's a, a fill in the blank worksheet. So if you're following along, um, the next point is Paul wanted to do God's will, God's pleasure, God's pleasure. Uh, and so Paul wanted to do God's pleasure. And you see that in verses 10 and 11. In verse, in verse 10, it then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. Now, in verse 10 there, I think that's a bold statement for the apostle Paul to make. He's telling this, this governor, and you know I haven't done anything wrong. I mean, he's, he's really putting it on the record there that you know I'm blameless. You know that I'm an innocent man, Festus. And so he really drives that nail home there in verse 10. That's a bold thing to say. And then in verse 11, he says, For if I be an offender, and then he just, he just puts his highlighter out. He's almost daring him. He's like, If I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. If you got something on me that's going to put me to, you know, to death, then let's bring it on. I'm willing to die. I'm all about submitting to the law. If I've done anything worthy of death, then judge me. And boy, I tell you, as a magistrate, what are you going to do to someone who looks like they have a death wish? There's not a whole lot of uh, leverage you have at this point. And then he goes on to say, I refuse not to die, but if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. He's saying, I have the law on my side. I appeal unto Caesar. What Paul's saying is, I'm not going to die under these circumstances, because I really don't have to. He still has options, which I'll be talking about that next week. He still has options, and he's like, you know what? I want to please God. I'm going to, I've got, God's already told him in private in chapter 23 and verse 11, hey, Paul, you're going to go to Rome? Paul's like, where's my Rome option? Okay, it's right here. It's Caesar. I'm going to pull that option. I'm going to plug it in here, and away we go. Paul now knows his rights as a Roman citizen, and now he's exercising them. We've seen many other places in the book of Acts, like, for example, the Philippian jailer. 
Paul allowed himself as a Roman citizen to be beaten and shackled and put in prison. You know, him and Silas sitting there singing at midnight in the, in the jail. Well, Paul was a Roman citizen then too. Uh, Macedonia, and, and as particularly Philippi, was a Roman city. Uh, the, the home of uh, Alexander the Great is a Roman city. And, and you know what? Uh, Paul could have said, um, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And then, man, that would have changed everything. And of course, he held that card. He held that card till after the Philippian jailer was, was uh, saved. And then he used that card, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of the Philippian jailer and the Philippian church. So the, the people were like, oh, excuse us, Paul and Silas. What can we do here? So Paul was, he didn't always exercise his citizenship rights. As a matter of fact, he only exercised them when he was pleasing God. He only called upon them when it was convenient for whatever God had in his life. And right now, you know, you can stomp your feet. You can't do this. This is what the Constitution says. Or you can say, you know what, for Christ's sake, I'm just going to be blameless here and have a good testimony. Because right now, uh, I'm going to take everyone at their word and and assume that people are concerned about people's lives. And as a Christian, that's what we do. We should set the example of being concerned about people's lives because, well, that's what we're preaching about, isn't it? That's, That's what we do. We are concerned about the souls of men. And the peace, the crazy peace that we have that passes understanding, that keeps us from... Well, going crazy because we're worried about catching a virus doesn't mean that we want to catch a virus or that we're flipping about the virus. It's just that we know, like Paul, that if we catch it, we will die, and then we go to heaven. So we don't want to be irresponsible in infecting anybody. At the same time, we don't want to be living in fear that of death because for us, there is no fear in death. We are free. We're better off dead. And so we live this life, what? For pur- the purpose of Christ. We live this life to do what we're doing now. What a great opportunity to get on the internet and go beyond the bounds of the four walls. Go beyond the normal and get out to everybody that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity it is. Let's take advantage of that today. You know, Paul understood this. This was hard for Paul to leave. Because doing God's pleasure meant he was leaving his brother. And as I said in the introduction, and I was thinking about what that really means to Paul. It means the same thing to Paul that it means to me. And it means to you if you're born again. There's coming a day when we're going to hear the trumpet blow. And we rightly are concerned about our judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> our place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of those things. That's what a Christian is preoccupied with. Not the seven year tribulation. Uh, but our own, uh, our own judgment and then appearing before the Lord. And then what it's going to look like in celestial glory. You know, As far as uh, there's going to be some with more honor than others. That's what we can occupy ourselves with today is how well are we serving Christ today? Because we know that what we do today, what's done in the body, will make a difference once we leave time and step into eternity, which is just any second now. I mean, it may happen before I even get done with this message. And so we want to be busy about the business of God in time. But we also know this, that that when we come back, the next time I set foot on earth, after I leave this earth, it's going to be at the second coming of Christ. Paul knows that too. You know, when he goes in, eventually he'll find himself before Nero. Eventually he'll get his head. History tells us he was decapitated. Well, once his head rolled, you know what? The next thing that that Paul's going to do is come back and bring judgment with the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 14. And man, that's not what he wants to do with his people. That's not the thing he wants to leave off with his people. He understands, even though he's super meek, that means it's not because Paul was weak. 
he didn't exercise extra power. He was meek because, well, because he understood that God is serious about judgment. And he cared about his people. And that's why he was willing to go so far out of his way, even knowing that he already knew that God was, as far as God was concerned, I'm done with Israel. But I think Paul is just hoping beyond hope that if there was anybody, somebody, maybe his nephew that, that ratted out the Sanhedrin or whoever it was that, that helped him, maybe somebody would get saved. And may to, would to God that would be our heart. Maybe you'd be willing to do God's pleasure. Paul loved Israel, but we've got to balance that. He didn't love Israel more than he loved God. He loved Israel, but he didn't love them more than God. He wasn't more nationalistic than he was biblical. I love my country. I love the United States Constitution. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, I really do. I really like our Constitution. I love the Bill of Rights. Wonderful thing. But I don't love that more than Jesus. Right? So there's a balance there. There's a balance. And I know, as you do too if you're born again, that the greater authority is ultimately Jesus Christ. And we know that no matter what happens in this world, someday the Constitution is not going to be followed. It's going to be Jesus' way or the highway. But in the meantime, before that day, before we come back with the Apostle Paul in Revelation 19.14, right? We, like Paul, need to be going, oh God, help us do your good pleasure. Help us do your will and help it make an impact on people we love. Because we know someday you are going to call us away, Lord. Someday you're going to catch us up, and then our opportunity is over. And we've already read First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we know what happens to those who don't receive the love of the truth. That they're going to be deceived. They're going to be beguiled big time. And they're going to have a faux antichrist system sweep over them. It's a sad situation. Now Festus was not, uh, he didn't have a clue. Like many today don't have a clue. Man, Festus may not have really realized the trouble that Paul saved him from. This was really, Paul's move was a really a good move, even though it was awkward for Festus, because he's like, now how, this guy's going to go to Caesar. Now what do I charge him with? Because he hasn't done anything wrong. That's, that's his problem. Um, but having said that, it would have been a bigger problem if he went to Jerusalem and caused a, a riot and caused a rebellion <laughs> and caused a Jewish uprising, of which certainly would have also happened if Paul went back to Jerusalem. Uh, and so, <clears throat> so Paul, uh, he, if he'd gone to Jerusalem, there would have been an international incident if, if the Jews murdered a Roman citizen in custody of a Roman governor, which we knew, know already very well established was the plot two years before and was still the plot. They wanted to kill the Apostle Paul. Well, a Roman... A Roman a man in Roman custody can't allow that to happen. And so when Paul made that move also to go to Caesar, Paul also was pushing the point that, hey, I'm, your, I'm in your custody, pal. I'm a Roman citizen. Paul knew that if he went back to, if he went back to Jerusalem and got killed, uh, it would be bad for Festus. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Festus would probably wash his hands of it and just say it was a Jewish thing. But Festus still would have had a problem, which is why did you allow the Jews to kill a Roman citizen that was in your custody so he actually kind of helped him out a little bit there paul was in bonds but you know what his decisions impacted the future of judah and it also impacted festus and the roman empire just a little old preacher just doing his thing affected the entire kingdom i mean the world kingdom at that time what is what is one man's impact think about that what is one man's impact that's the same question many are asking with the covid19 virus isn't it what can, one, what can one person do in regard to damage to other people, right? If you get this infection and you just are careless and you're <coughs> coughing on everybody and going around, you know, just getting everybody infected before, you may not even know you ever have it. 
what is the impact? Well, some think that could be absolutely deadly. Uh, and would to God, you know, would to God we could reverse that curse and be just as infectious as the COVID virus. You know what? Instead of infecting people with a disease that's going to kill them, the Christians should be infectious like COVID and, and, and give people Christ and bring them to life. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that please God if one person was so infectious? It, it changed the course of a whole city. It's impo- it is not impossible. It's actually very possible. It takes somebody who's like the Apostle Paul, who's all in. Paul notes uh, three areas in which he is blameless, by the way, in verse 8. Now, this is a key verse, which is why I pointed out. It says, while he answered for himself, and then it says this, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended anything at all. Now, I've already touched on this, but the point here is Paul notes three areas in which he is blameless. He is blameless in verse 8. So, so uh, he mentions the, the law of the Jews, right? He's blameless before the law of the Jews. He's blameless concerning the law of God and dealing with the temple. We've covered that a few weeks ago. And he's blameless concerning the charge of sedition against Caesar and Rome and their law. In fact, it was because he was blameless before all three <clears throat> that nothing was sticking. The practical application during times such as these <clears throat> is we need to make sure that we're blameless. We keep the law and the orders or the ordinances until we cannot. Paul wrote to the Philippians and told them to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of difficult circumstances. You know, Mitch Newland, he's a, he heads up the, the uh, Kingdom Seekers, which, by the way, thank you, HBF, for stepping up on that. When we come back, I pray everyone keeps their commitments to the Kingdom Seekers and, uh, <clears throat> because we'll probably be, hopefully we'll be fuller than ever, I'm hoping. And so, uh, but he says this, uh, you know, and I like that Mitch says this. He says, embrace the suck. He says when he was in the military, he learned that there's going to be a lot of things, and I, know if, I don't know if I should say that, but the things that stink, right? When you're in the military, it's, it's sir, yes, sir. You know, you do what you're told. That's the way it works. And so not everything you're told to do is really fun, you know, like take out the trash, right? It's just stuff you got to do. But he said what helped him is just to embrace, the, embrace it. It's like, you know, why, why fight it? Just, just get to where you I just embrace that thing. I thought, man, that's a, that's a biblical attitude, but I want to take that a step further. You know, when someone says you can't do this, or you, you're, you, your life's going to be curtailed in some way, and you may not like it, you might even be frustrated. Um, listen, this is one, yeah, embrace the suck, right? Do that. But also, Philippians 4 says this in verse 4, the Apostle Paul writing to people who really were in a lot of tribulation, a lot of difficulty, I was sitting with my wife yesterday, and <clears throat> other than those that have the actual virus himself and are suffering, I'm like, this isn't the worst situation, wife, that a country could be in. We're, we're in our houses. It's like vacations. The people sitting around in their house working. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's inconvenient. But, you know, there's, there's worse things, you know, a lot worse things that could be going on in our world. <clears throat> and, so, uh, and so I'm like, you know, okay. Um, Philippians 4 says this <clears throat> to people who were like, I mean, suffering, like not having enough food to eat, uh, not just standing in lines or having to spread out in the store. They don't have a store. I mean, these are people that are, are under persecution and suffering. Paul says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always." In case you didn't get it, and again, I say rejoice. I mean, be, be joyful. I mean, enjoy Jesus during these type of times. That's a great way to embrace the difficult times. It's just say, you know what? Enjoy Jesus anyway. I believe that Paul wasn't every day like, oh, I can't believe I've been hosed over by Festus or by Felix, man. I'm here for two years. This stinks. I'm sure there's all all kinds of moments where he felt that way. But for the most part, 
I'm sure Paul just did what he said. He's like, hey, you know what? So are my other brethren in the so are the other brothers in the world, as am I, man. I'm just gonna roll. Hey, Roman soldier, what's up with you? You got you got six hours with me. Let's talk Jesus, you know? And uh, <laughs> and he just kept on rolling. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, and he says, Let your moderation. Your moderation, what is that? You know, in our uh, let, some of us have had to moderate our behavior. But that word really means gentleness, patience, appropriateness. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Right? So what that means is is not careless. It means you're not caught up in it. You're not like really, it doesn't really, it's like I love the Chiefs, but, you know, I'm not going to let it ruin my day if they lose the Super Bowl. Although it would have ruined maybe half a day. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's just the things of this world, it's just not worth it, man. There's just so much more. There's so much more in Christ. There's so much more in the Word of God. There's so much more to come. There's so much more that we've got to focus on, frankly, that, that we just gotta, we got to let our moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He's here. He's in us of a truth. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Are we praying? Paul was certainly praying. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, Jesus dwells among, <clears throat> among us during times of crisis. He actually dwells in us. And therefore, we're never in a crisis. You ever thought about that? Because Jesus dwells in us, you're really never in a... Your rope is your hope. <laughs> I mean, you've got... You, you don't have to like, wait, when's the rope coming to save me? Your rope is in you. It's Christ Jesus. He's there. You're undefeatable. You're like Paul. You're blameless. You're harmless. So Festus releases judgment on him. When he says this in verse 9, he says, But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered up to, uh, Wilt thou go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? He's really, he's really saying, I have nothing on you, Paul. So should we move this? Let's, let's move this to Jerusalem where the actual uh, charges are. They're religious questions. They're not Roman issues. And he really releases at that point the judgment of Rome. You know, Paul has argued successfully at this point and has not committed any crimes against Rome. He's no longer guilty of sedition. And he offers to have this matter settled in Jerusalem where it started. And he probably, in his mind, I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, thought this was an effort to de-escalate the situation. Or he thought it was a way to, to get rid of Paul, I'm not sure. But in doing so, he acknowledges the charges against Paul of sedition are bogus, and that is his <clears throat> is a religious matter, not a matter of Roman law. So he is he calls it in Acts twenty five nineteen. We get his whole mind as he's talking to King Agrippa. He says, but but <clears throat> but he had certain questions against him um, of their own superstition and of the and of one Jesus which was dead, whom Paul affirmed alive. And I love the way he says that to Agrippa because. You can see that though we don't see it in the text in the first 12 verses, that Paul, in his discussions with the Jews, made it about one man, and that man was Christ Jesus. And we know based on what he was able to repeat, he was very clear. Festus understood the argument. Now, he didn't believe it. He's a, yeah, it's just superstition. That's the way the world sees what we're doing. A lot of people right now in the, in the world, if they look in on what we're doing, they're like, you are crazy, man. You're, you're, you've got an old Bible, an old book, old stories, and you're preaching it like it's real, and it's just some fabrication. 
Well, it isn't, but, you know, that's, that's your opinion. That's what, that's what Festus thought. It doesn't matter, though. I tell you what, how's our lifestyle? How are we doing? How's our love? Are we blameless? Are we harmless? Have I done anything to hurt you? No, I haven't. I'm not hurting you, and I don't want to hurt you. I just want to love you. That's what the church does. That's who we are. And so, and so Paul uh, is in a situation where he's blameless in regard to the law, and Festus releases judgment, and Paul wins the day legally as he appeals to Caesar. And in doing so, he affirms the death penalty of all things in verse 11. He already committed his, to his, his position on the death penalty, capital punishment, in Romans 13 and verse, uh, verses 1 through 5. He says, let every soul be subject unto higher powers. Now, he wrote this before he ever went to Jerusalem. Now he's getting to live it out. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist uh, shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, it is interesting to note that when Jesus had his public ministry, the Roman centurions seemed to be more favorable to Jesus than the leadership of the nation of Israel. Even Pilate gave Jesus uh, more outs than the Jewish leadership. It's, it's crazy. Uh, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. And then Paul says this, He beareth not the sword in vain, meaning the, the, the ability to judge a capital crime. He can execute justice and judgment in that fashion. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, that's important because there was no death penalty, a capital punishment instituted until the book of Genesis chapter 9. Before that, the first almost 2,000 years of human history, there wasn't a death penalty. But after the flood of Noah, there was a death penalty. And so, uh, and that continues on to this day. So Paul's pointing that out. Hey, if I've done anything worthy of death, you know, right here. And of course, eventually he gets that, uh, even though he wasn't guilty of death. So if the Jew would have read a copy of Romans, they would have understood that they were being overran by Gentile rulers because they rejected the word of God in the flesh. And the hammer would soon drop on Israel because Paul and the saints in Jerusalem were the last hope for Israel of avoiding God's wrath. Just like today as I preach this message to the this ether, I like the way that James said that, as I just preach it to the atmosphere. Today, this, the same holds true. Would to God some Jews would grab a hold of what we're saying because, listen, what's coming next for you is not good. Even though your nation will be saved, it's not going to be easy. And you will eventually, as a nation, receive Jesus as your Savior. But it isn't going to come easy. And like Paul, these are the last moments. I mean, the clock is ticking down. I mean, it's time for the, the last shot to win the game for us as a church. And you need to get in. Because the fullness of the Gentiles was coming in. And if you're blinded in part, man, get in with us while you can. Because it's not going to be easy for your brothers, the Jews. Beloved, that goes for us. You know, we're rewinding history right right into this scenario. There's a lot of Americans consumed or concerned about rights. And we already saw that coming because Revelation 3 tells us this is Laodicea. That literally means rights of the people. The rights of the people. Paul's giving up his rights to freedom so he could accomplish God's mission. 
He should have been acquitted altogether, but instead he got a free trip to Rome. And it wasn't an easy trip. And he was willing to seal his fate as a prisoner rather than seek his liberty for this life. And beloved Laodicean, there is a real lesson there for us too. The reason that we give up liberty, though we hate to, as Paul did, is not because we hate liberty. It's because we want to give liberty to others. And it's only under those circumstances that you can even endure it. Because the Christian, by very nature, is a free man. We're not under the bondage of anything other than Christ. So we have to understand those principles, those principles that many of us clutch to because we love our liberty. We've got to remember the origin and the essence of them. They don't come from a United States Revolution, though that was an awesome thing in history, and I'm the biggest fan you're ever going to find of it. But what you're going to, where they come from is from the principle that God is the liberator. <clears throat> and he liberates us from the inside out. So that's enough about Paul can't lose legally. And I've talked about a lot of legal issues. But let me just bring it down to one more point before I say that. I just, I got one more thing to say. Consider the judgment of God on a nation that stops everything to save tax-paying citizens. But allows the destruction of a life in the womb. Does that make any sense? The Jews would have, would have <clears throat> saying, God bless Israel. Just like we sing, God bless America. If they could have killed Paul. And that makes absolutely no sense. Even the Pharisees could see through that. They're like, wait a minute. What are we doing here? And many of them were struggling. Because they themselves understood what Paul understood. There was a resurrection. And Paul says, that's all I'm talking about. Next week, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. You see, a Bible-believing Christian understands this is a time to pray for revival, not survival. And I tell you, the more let me, let me say that again. Let me rewind and be kind, as old Alan Shelby used to say, or young Alan Shelby. And so, <clears throat> he, let, me, let me say that again. A Bible-believing Christian <clears throat> understands this is not a time to pray for, uh, that this is a time, I'm sorry, to pray for revival, not survival. I mean, my, my biggest concern right now is not my physical well-being. Though I'll, I'll take all the precautions. I put some hand sanitizer on before I came up to the pulpit. I'll do some more. I'll stay away from everybody. I'm going to keep. I'm going to do all that stuff. I don't want to infect anybody, nor do I want to be infected, okay? But my bigger priority is not praying, oh, God, save me from a physical ailment. My bigger priority is, oh, God, save souls from an eternity destined for hell. Man, that is the issue. <clears throat> so this, the second and last thing I want to mention here and I know I'm a little long, but please bear with me, is Paul can't lose spiritually. <clears throat> Paul has no fear of death because he was, he, was, he was blameless before God. We've already seen in verse 11, for if I be a offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. I mean, Paul is like, hey, whatever. And notice in verse 12, then Festus goes to to that word council. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council. Now, class, um, out there in the, in the atmosphere, you've learned already, if you've been watching, that council, C-I-L at the end, not S-E-L, is always affiliated in, most of the time in the New Testament with what? That's right. It's against Christ. Every, just do a Bible study. Just study every occurrence and read the context, and you'll find, wow, wow, wow. So he confers that there's the word again, counsel. Next thing you know, it's like, well, okay, this is where we're going. Notice the text uh, where Festus confers with the council. And ultimately, uh, you know what? There is no counsel against the Lord. 
That's what's so awesome. There is no counsel against the Lord. Uh, you, you, can, you can rule against Christ, but you can never, never win. So Paul, has, <clears throat> he has no fear of death. He's a win-win. You kill me, I win. You don't kill me, I go to Rome. I win. Either way, I win. And then Paul has no fear of man because he, we've seen that the way he addressed Festus. He wasn't a jerk face. I think he was gentle, but he was certainly not afraid uh, because he was blameless before man. As a Jew, as a Roman, he was blameless. In Acts chapter 20, before he ever, ever got into all this pickle, he said, Wherefore, I take to you record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. And I think that was the one last thing that Paul needed to be able to go to Rome was to know that he had done everything in his power to be pure from the blood of all men. And this morning, is there anybody, I mean, right now, if you're a Christian, that on your heart you know, like, man, I need to witness to them. I, I, I've told you stories in the past where in my life, there's some people when I was young in the Lord especially, where I knew it was time to witness and I didn't, and they died in car car crash shortly thereafter. In that particular instance, God just said, Brian, I was telling you to witness, and you did not do it. And to this day, I feel bad about it. I think I'll be judged. I am judged for it, <clears throat> but praise God. I mean, I'm sure you had an opportunity, but my point is simply this. That weighs on my mind. Why? Because what I'm saying is real. You never know when God's giving you an opportunity. If God's pressing that on your heart to share the gospel with somebody, man, you may have to risk the relationship, but it's worth doing it because you want to know when you go where God tells you to go that you, you have a clean conscience before God in the sight of men. I remember when I came down here to Heartland, there was, uh, I, I, before I left, I wrote letters to people, people that weren't in church, people that had been mad at me for this, that, or the other thing, and I tried to patch all that up. Praise God, all of them are in the faith again today. But some of them wrote me nasty letters, and they said, Brian, blah, 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 and they were just venting on me stuff that had nothing to do with me. And I'm like, bro, I'm sorry, uh, but I'm going to Harrisonville. I'm moving on. And praise God, they got their hearts right. But I love God. He's such a good God. I mean, you got to have your heart right with God. you got to be blameless before God and in the sight of men so that you can function and go forward. Paul only wanted to please the Lord. He just wanted to please the Lord. It was likely <clears throat> a death sentence when he appeared before Nero and proclaimed to the Caesar, right, the God-man in Rome, that there's a man named Jesus who's God that rose from the dead. That's a death sentence. Some people think that Paul actually didn't face death. He actually was acquitted before that, and then he came back later. I don't know the details. Ultimately, Paul would stand before Caesar, and he would uh, talk to Nero, who was the, the emperor at this time, and he would die. But <clears throat> regardless of the case, you know what Paul said to the Romans? Once again, it was already written, Romans fourteen eighty says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And this morning, that is the question. When we talk about blamelessness, let's talk about the day we take our last breath. Are we right with God? Do we have peace with God? Do we have the peace of God? Right, that is the real issue. Are we, are we blameless? And if, if you aren't, how do you get there? Well, how you get there is through Jesus Christ himself, because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And God's standard for righteousness is so high, it's so perfect, there's not a man in the world that can ever meet it. And that's why Jesus Christ is the only man that did, the God-man, who came to this earth, lived a completely righteous life, and then died on the cross as our sacrifice for sin. In Jerusalem, they're, they're, they're hoping they can still execute a, a Passover this coming week, the first Passover since they were taken into captivity in 70 A.D. You know what? What God wants them to understand is there is a greater Passover. Jesus Christ, the Bible says in, in, uh, in Corinthians, is our Passover. 
He is our lamb. He, was, he died on the cross for our sins so that we could escape the bondage of this world and be made free so that we could be ushered into a promised land. Our promised land is not on this earth. Our promised land is Jerusalem above. And when you're born again, the Bible says that you inherit that. How do you get that kind of grace? You simply, the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He's God manifest in the flesh. That he died on the cross for your sin and my sin, the sin of the world, but specifically your sin. And that the things that you do that you know are sin, man, it's, it's, it'll send you to hell. You need to understand that and reckon that with a righteous and holy God. But for the grace of God, and God's grace is Jesus Christ. He came to this world as a gift. God gave him to us. He died on the cross for our sin. And he rose again the third day uh, according to the scripture. What that means is he fulfilled all the prophecies. And he is now alive. He is alive right now. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming soon. But in the person of the Spirit of God, if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will save you. He will literally quicken your dead soul. He will come into you and save your soul. And you can have that life today if you simply just bow your heart and your head. And you just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose again. And I am a sinner, but I'm glad Jesus died in my place. Come into my heart and save me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Give me the grace to follow you faithfully all these days until you come for me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Something like that. That's an example. Don't just repeat my words, but mean it in your heart to the Lord. He'll save you. He'll save you right now. If you would make that decision or you need help with that decision, you can call our church, 816-380-3033. Pastor Jim Boyette's got the phone right now. He's ready to pick up and talk to you. Uh, you can email us at contact at hbfcast.org. Um, or, uh, you, man, that's about the only, you can get on our, you can get on, if you're watching YouTube, you can put something in the message box. We'll get back with you right now when we're done, and we'll get with you and help you understand how you can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this.